0: My name is Elijah and welcome to my podcast, Songwriting for Songwriters. Joining me today is Mutter Slater. Mutter was frontman in the 70s band Stackridge, who were the very first band to ever play, open and finish the first Glastonbury Festival. We speak about that festival experience, working with George Martin. Been signed by Elton John, Mata's solo career with the Mata Slater Band, how we write songs, the importance of releasing music, and much, much more. So please enjoy this podcast, subscribe, and uh, thank you for being here. Okay, joining me today on my Songwriting for Songwriters podcast is Mata Slater. Mata, how are you doing?
1: Fine, thanks. Yeah, very
0: well. Good, good. How are you? I'm um, good, thanks mate. Nice to have a bit of sun in the uh, West Dorset region. Yes, yeah. Fantastic. Now listen, Um, obviously you may or may not know but I've been doing this podcast for a while now with lots of different songwriters exploring their take on songwriting really, their kind of process and all those kind of big sort of subjects. So you're someone who I've been uh, or has been on my list to uh, speak to. Firstly, because I love your songwriting, and it's um, you Not know, get, luckily for me, I get to hear it quite often because we live in the same neck of the woods. Um yeah, we do. We do. So, my first question to you is: when when did you start writing songs, and, and was and what what or who inspired you to start writing songs?
1: Um, <laughs> well, my first foray was uh, because um, when I was in bands when I was at school, um, I was tended to be the lead singer and uh, blues harp player. Um, So I didn't particularly play an instrument. So I had nothing to write on, per se. Um, So my initial um, um, forays into the songwriting world were purely lyrical. I was writing lyrics with the guitarist in the the band that we had at school or around that age, uh, teenage years. Um, So (laughs) uh, I remembered the um, lyric, the title to the first song there is very much of its time if you imagine 1967 it was called Embryonic Dream
0: (laughs) awesome
1: (laughs) there's a confession for it yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) but that must have been like an amazing time to like uh, because to me like you know I grew up in the 90s and so 67 to me is like the kind of 67 68 69 feels to me like a kind of land of impossibly brilliant times to live through and and listen to music you know so was that was that a very rich cultural time to be that age and start writing
1: yes yeah I mean we were spoiled rotten really yeah you had I mean you like the pop charts um you have I mean you don't only have the Beatles and the Stones obviously but you have bands like the um like Amen Corner um the, the, the Fortunes the Move um they're all coming out with great songs great you know singles, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a rich, you no, know, inspirational time. Then, of course, Hendrix arrived and led Zeppelin get near the end. So it was, yes, it's very really inspiring sort of time
0: to do it. Yeah. So you were starting out really predominantly as as, as the front man and lyric writer, being the kind of main sort of the Jagger roll kind of thing as in in the band. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we it was mainly we did mainly covers. Um, in
1: the band, because that's what kids do, isn't it? Um, So um, then um, the guitarist and I left, decided we'd had enough of being in a band and we were going to do a duo. And that's when I sort of uh, got a flute on a whim, because I thought I'd better learn to play something else. So I got the flute and um, we started doing, again, covers, a few traffic songs and one or two others, but we did start writing songs together. So then I was sort of... um, Doing more lyrics and they're a bit more sensible <laughs> than embryonic dream. Um, and then, of course, after that didn't last very long because he um, got married, so that was the end of his musical career. And <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, and then I sort of uh, ended up in Bristol and joined Stackridge, and that was where which and Stackridge's are purely all original stuff. Yeah. So um, then it was more. Um, you know, I seriously started to think about um, writing some song, proper songs. No, so I was at a um, somewhere where there was a piano, so I, sort of, I could bang one or two chords out on a piano. So I, I, that's that's where it really started in earnest. So when, um,
0: when you were in, when you joined Stackridge, they were already an, an an entity before you joined. Is that right?
1: Well, not really much. I think they'd done one gig. Okay. Um, um and then i joined and so it it was a it was a state of flux because um um i think the org there was a um, an organist hammond player um who thankfully left after a few gigs because that was a nightmare lugging a Hammond up hammer yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so um it was a time of flux um uh, the first sort of six months of 1970 it, 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 their only gig was in Christmas 69 and then the first half of 1970 uh, people came and went in the lineup yeah. and, to, and then sort of probably, you know, by mid 70 we'd got the uh, established lineup which recorded the first three albums together. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. So in, in Stackbridge, how would, you say, how did the writing, uh, how was the kind of writing partnerships or how did that come, how, generally how did that work?
1: Um, but James Warren, um, he used to write everything. No, he'd have a set of, um, a total song. He'd have all the chords, um, all the verses, all the lyrics done, um, which was completely different than the way that Andy, um, did his. Andy had nice bits of music. Um, and uh, so I had an idea of what the vocals should be like, um, he didn't write any lyrics. So Crun, the bass player, he wrote the lyrics for Andy's songs. And then we'd just keep busking and busking and busking them at a practice. Um, and then a, a, an arrangement would take shape and there'd be like a little sort of a instrumental background thing. And I'd come up with some, um, melodies on the flute, which sort of got me into a solo. So there was little instrumental pieces that I was writing at that yeah. in the early days um but james james nandy and crone with this lyric were the um the sole songwriters on the first album it was and it was mainly james's songs so that was um or my contribution um not mentioned but that there's just writing the um flute parts
0: basically sure playing flute so yeah so the you know that's quite an interesting thing to be in isn't it because i mean i've always been like i mean you are now and we'll get in, onto that but like in the mutter slater band it is obviously by the title of the band it is it is your baby and you are the as far yeah. as i'm aware the make the chief songwriter but it's quite an interesting position to be in a band where there's other writers you know and it's where they're kind of doing their thing when when you're in those early days of stat did you kind of find that you wanted to put your, like the George Harrison, thing, did you want to get your songs out there as well? Was there a kind of any, because bands are known for like, sort of internal battles of writing and all that kind of thing. Was that ever a thing or was that a kind of, did it just grow? Did you grow as a writer through kind of, you know, being part of these records and well, the writer's songs?
1: Well, it, it sort of, um, I think, I'm not putting myself up with George Harrison, but I, it, I think in those circumstances, you think, think and like I say when we weren't um, playing or rehearsing or doing anything um, I'd be sort of tinkering away on a piano when I could and of course as I uh, progressed on the piano um, I started coming up with things that I thought oh that's quite interesting and then uh, so the, um, so then I knew that if it was going to figure in any album by the band or on stage with, with the, within the band um, it had to measure up sure because uh, Andy and James were quite sort of um, forthright in their opinions.
0: Sure, sure, sure. So,
1: you know, uh, which it upped your game, really, which yeah. is it's good, it's bad enough. You know, I didn't. it saves a lot of embarrassing. <laughs> you sort of get, a, like, as you know, when you sometimes you write a song and you think, oh, that's quite, that's all right, that's all right. And you listen to it back the next day and you think, oh, my God, what was I thinking? <laughs> so I sort of... Um, I had a they they were like the filter system to test mm. the value song.
0: That's quite so a good thing. I had,
1: yeah. I had the second album. I had one instrument short instrumental piano piece on, and then by the time we got to the third one, which is the Man in the Boulder Hat, I think I'd written most of the songs on that, or I had to share of the
0: songs. Yeah, sure. sure. So quite a quite a um, re- transition from in a way, really. Quite.
1: Well, well, yeah, but, um, I just hit a hit a seam. You know, I hit a rich seam of songwriting. Yeah. As you know, how it goes. Sometimes you hit the, no, you hit the seam and you get, uh, you go with it.
0: Yeah, because yeah.
1: um, the times where you get nothing, yeah, yeah, yeah. acceptable, is a desolate...
0: <laughs> Do you think that's quite interesting? That because there's there's definitely many songwriters who have those runs, don't they? Like, because we just mentioned George. Like George at the end of the Beatles had that kind of very prolific period, which you probably arguably didn't get back again. There's like Richard Ashcroft and the Verb of Urban Hymns had a moment. it's funny that like, that can come together, can't it, sometimes? And it's like it's quite hard to kind of nail down when that's happening or yeah. not. But do you? It's, I'm someone who's basically writes all the time. And I think you do as well. I imagine you do because you're quite prolific. But when you get those runs, do you think there's any way of qualifying or quantifying why there's a run on?
1: No. No, cause, uh, because because um, after the man in the bowler hat, I I, th- I think I might have written like, three pieces of music, um, and I got a feeling that most a uh, couple of them I, I was already tinkering with when we were recording Man in the Bowler Hat. But anyway, but after that 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 I had a real lean period right. where I, I wasn't writing much at all. Right. Right. Um but um thankfully there was a, a change in line up in the band, so they, Andy had another write, a writing partner, uh, Rob Bockett, and and so there was still plenty of material to go on the albums. So um but yeah, I I don't know why it suddenly um I think I was um I got married, um and it wasn't anything, you know, um, but there was a sort of the thing where my wife was living in Yeovil, but I was spending nearly all my time in London. So it's one of those sort of a, yeah. um, this sort of stuff going on in your brain all the time. Sure. And because, and also, if you're busy on the road and recording and rehearsing in a band, it's having those quiet periods where you just pick up a guitar or sit by a piano and let your brain float away. Because yeah. I find that's how it works for me. I okay. just hit something it by accident. I think, oh, that's interesting, and then I get a absorbed by
0: it but so um, that's kind of your like it's almost so your process yourself now or, or like what you've developed is like you find a piece of music that interests you and then and yeah. then what happens after that you just kind of go into is it music first then lyrics or you talk us through your way of working like how you write a song
1: yeah but, um, well now with the the, the mutter slater band it's all on guitar I haven't got a keyboard at all um so I'll just sit down, pick up I'll pick up a guitar and noodle away or um, do something and then um just nothing at all really, just mucking about certain chords and then I think, oh well, that's an interesting change, and then um um oh, you know I'll sort of keep going over that sequence and come up um come up with a a melody to sing on top. And I think, oh, where can we go from here? And um so now I've been doing it a lot longer. I hear a chord before I the next chord that I haven't yeah. got yet. Yeah. I can hear it in my head. Yeah. But of course I I'm not trained musically, so I have to sort of uh, I don't know what chord, these chords. But obviously I know the majors and minors. But yeah. Some of the other ones, no. Um. I don't know. So, but if I can hear it in my the chord of my head, the change, then I can go you now work it
0: out on the guitar that's exactly the same um, so- for me. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I I'm not trained either so like basically i'll hear the chord and and then sometimes it will take a good 20 minutes or even a day to find what that chord is i'm hearing and it's yeah. quite, it's quite difficult to find find it and then it's like oh okay there you are but um i something that i quite like about not being musically trained is is having those inspiration hearing it in your head you know because yeah. maybe this it's you don't go to sometimes and this isn't a criticism of like People that really know their keys and where they are, they kind of go for like what they um, what I what they know works. Where if you're not musically trained, you're sort of like jumping over a hedge and just seeing what happens on the other side. <laughs> I
1: like, hope it's not too too far to fall the other side. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> you know, so you so sometimes you yeah. do fall, but you, I guess you're leaning you're leaning into your instinct more, aren't you, as a writer? I think that way.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what I, I absolutely, uh, and that's what I love about it. Really, the the mystery about it. The magic, yeah. Um, yes, rather than think, oh, we're in that key. With we'll, we'll, um, let's go to that, or let's do that. Um, obviously, you do that sometimes, and sometimes when I'm thinking of chord and I'm trying different shapes and one thing or another, a turn out it's a a minor chord with a different bass note or something. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Uh, it's um, or yes, it's it can be a simple answer, but other times I um, when I'm sh- or, because what happens when I've got a song and I think, oh yeah, that I'll, I'll take that to the practice. So I take it to the practice and I'll play it to the rest of the guys. And i say, oh, it starts off in this key and uh, chord and all that. And I said, uh, ah, this chord, I've no idea what it's called, but it, it's got this these notes in it. And so, yeah. But Chris, the guitarist,
0: and Tom, they sort of pick it up really quickly. That's funny, though, right. because I have the same thing with my band where there's the musicians in the band are far better musicians than me. And I, they'll ask me, what was a chord or key is that? And I'll be like, G thing. I've written it down, this G thing with a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't really know. But I like I said, I think that naivety is actually, like you say, it kind of keeps things exciting and mysterious, which is yeah. important to me. And it sounds like it's important to you as a writer as well. Oh, yeah.
1: It, and, and then it, it sort of um, it impresses yourself as well. It sort of encourages you to yeah. carry on because you, you think, oh, I can't believe I came up with that. As, yeah. Yeah. When you haven't really, it's just the way the brain's sort of snapping around and one thing and another. So it's, but it's, it's great. It's really, there's one, uh, a song which we'll be working on tonight. I haven't written the words for it yet, uh, but which answers your question earlier on. It's always the tune first and then yeah. I'll do some lyrics. Exactly. Uh, Cause we need to, um, Play it in the band because some bits, uh, musically don't work, doesn't, or I'll get, when we're playing together, I think, Oh, that may be quite nice if we do this there. And then I'll come up with another idea. So I don't tend to write the lyrics until it's pretty well, um, worked out with the band. Oh, that's cool. But the song I'm working on at the moment is one of these things in, um, it, cause I said, Oh, I don't know what key it's in because it starts on B flat. The verse starts on A flat, and there's another section that which is on um, uh, whoa, what, what's it on? Oh, another section that is F minor. Is so I've it, can... no idea what key key it's in. Yeah, it's, got, it, I mean... it's got three different three different sections. Uh, no, more than that, four different sections. So it's got a verse, it's got a chorus, and it's got um, two other instrumental bits with a bit of. Anyway, it's. It's a magnum opus, which will probably go on at the end of the next album. Because that's usually where I put the magnum opuses.
0: (laughs) I like what you're saying, though, about like having that, taking a song, a piece of music and a melody to a band, having not finished it and allowing that. Because I'm a big believer that when you've got, when you've got, um, sometimes when I go do gigs or showcases, I'll have like 70% of a song. And I will generally have sort of most of the lyrics. But if there's a bit I can't finish, I'll just play it live and see what happens because then you then you don't know where the brain's going to go. And it sounds like a bit when you're rehearsing with the band, their input or you playing it in a room, is you're still making decisions and allowing yourself to be in a creative space with the band to see what happens. Yeah. that's a, I think that's yeah. quite a rare... I haven't heard that actually on this songwriting podcast, someone oh, right. just fleshing it out with the band, you know? Well, no,
1: it, on the, all the... Um, MSB album, certainly the past three, four. Um, the band do the arrangements. I always, so sort I of try and make a point on the album of saying um, all songs written by Mudra Slater, uh, arrangements by MSB or
0: something. Great, great, great. Because yes.
1: that's and that's what and and I think that's important because. Um, I just love our the way we play together, the way we connect with each other musically. Yeah, um, and it they they sort of um they get it like that, and it just makes the song so much stronger.
0: Yeah, I mean that's important. That I think that idea of collaboration and trusting your band because your band are great. I've seen them a few times, and the thing is, it's quite difficult for a band to um I think sometimes to take someone's song and do it justice would make it feel like it's their song you know it's not like they're yeah. not a backing band to your song that's feels like the band song and the thing i love the most about your band is like the the way that they are able to be light and move and be heavy but it's all so like well applied like every every member of your band is a very very good musician they allow they create mm. space for you to be, be center point but they can all they can all move and it sounds very together, but like dynamic. It's a brilliant band. And anyone who's listening here, if they haven't seen the Martin Slater bands, they should. And if you haven't heard the albums, you should, because it's quality writing and quality playing and very kind of, I don't know. It really, can, it's, there's an R&B influence in your songwriting, isn't there? There's like a kind of yeah bluesy. I, influence. I,
1: yeah, um, it's sort of 60s, 60s soul. No, sort of the Motown stacks. Uh, I used to love those uh, Wilson Pickett or Otis Redding, Sam yeah. and Dave stuff. Blue, like I say, blues and sixties R and B. Um, yeah, they are my because that's what we were playing in the when I was a teenager, and our sort of like school band sort of thing was yeah. uh, blues and R and B stuff. So it's, um, I've sort of gone back to that really because Stackers definitely weren't doing that. <laughs>
0: But there's also a it's you know within that sound, which is um, in many ways like it's a quite a British sort of sound actually. But it's but there's within the kind of your lyrical observations and what you sing about and talk about, that's quite a unique thing, isn't it? It's definitely a mutter like voice in these songs. Yeah, yeah. You know, where, where, lyrically, what what in what inspires you to write songs lyrically? What what are the, what situations or life where are you coming from do you think what what cap- what captures your imagination
1: um I, well i um s- snap snatches of conversation or um um uh, i tend to if the next album would, would be dealing with some sort of s- serious things pl- some political some not some ecological but um I like writing about these things, but, um, with a rep, but that, that they're under the surface. The surface is sort of, um, something that, um, that just sounds like a typical bluesy sort of, um, lyric or, um, um, it's, or a bit like Dylan used to do in his early years. He used to, um, use sort of, um, odd imagery in his lyrics. Yeah. Um, then, uh, then you realise underneath it all, he was really sort of. Um, some of them were just out and out fantasy lyrics, but yeah. um, I sort of tend to try and uh, cover two things in one song lyrically if yeah. I can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or if if it's just a straight um, sort of uh, R and B sort of up tempo thing or shuffly thing, I um, will try and put a bit of humour in it. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're in a bar you know, yeah. that sort it's of something. thing I'll try and make a, a funny situation or um,
0: have a play on the words or something like that there's something you said there which is really interesting to me because I think I do it and I'd like to explore it for a second which is you said like getting in a way you're getting two meanings in a song it's like that kind of yeah. so yeah. when I've tried to do that myself and I think I know what you're talking about is like I always consider it as like the universal and the personal and so like, and there's a sort of combination between saying something of, without sounding like an idiot or a hippie, like there's a universal truth or universal message. So like, could be political or ecological, or just even like, I don't know, emotional. And then within that, there's like the personal thing of like, I'm, I might be going through something or I might be wanting to say something. And it's trying to wrap, for me, it's like wrapping the two things up so that it feels yeah. my expression but hopefully the person listening is able to take it in their own world as well so yes, is, is that similar to what you mean by that
1: yeah yeah exactly uh and uh i've always and it's personal taste really Um uh, i've always enjoyed lyrics um that the more you hear them or, or, or every time you hear them you you hear something different or you you um i'm not, i'm not I mean, the so ultimate hero in that respect is Leonard Cohen. Right. I just, um, it's, I mean, he was astonishing at it, um, but he worked at it a lot harder than I do. <laughs> 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 I mean, he used to write um, tens of, uh, or I uh, thought, like 30 verses, and then whittle it down about five, didn't he? Yeah, some, right. His right. song. Um, I mean, I'm not into that. Not <laughs> Time's too short for that. <laughs> but, um uh, that's a sort of lyric uh, lyric writing I really appreciate, along with the old um, uh, great American songbook yeah. writers like yeah. um, Cole Porter, yeah, yeah, uh, people like that um, who you know have their wordplay, and of course Chuck Berry uh, have the have the story going, but they're having a play with the words along the way, or yeah. clever rhymes and things yeah. like this, clever great. imagery, nice imagery. As well as just telling a story yeah. um i've always um liked that about you know some
0: songwriters playfulness a kind of playfulness and you know?
1: yeah exactly
0: yes yeah i mean that's definitely there in your writing like you said a bit um one of the things i've seen happen when you play songs is people um connect very quickly uh to to the songs you know because it's they are because you also like this you have like more abstract stuff, like you were saying, but there's sometimes songs like "Night and Day," as you know, is one of my favorite songs of yours, um, or Pig in, "Pig in the Middle" is another favorite, and and it's like you are able to connect people through your storytelling and through the and through the kind of truth, actually, the human truth condition of like maybe splitting up with someone, or you know, you're very good at like getting that across to. Um, somebody and i don't mean it in a simple way because its i don't mean that because they're very beautifully poetic but there's a way you do have a way of kind of like i think bruce springsteen does it where like he just writes the truth and then gives it to the audience and the audience get it straight away and i've seen so many times with you it's it's like it's a really kind of there's an honesty to it but there's a kind of like a kind of everymanism in a way you know like a kind of Would that be fair to say that looks like yeah
1: absolutely no no yeah um i feel that i have i can't even with stackridge i couldn't write to order right no and and i still can't if some um no it's not going to happen but i mean if someone said oh we need you to write a three-minute pop song then it it just won't wouldn't happen they just i just Go the other way, and I would start writing songs about ten minutes long. <laughs> uh, if, but I, I mean, luckily, I'm my own man, so I can just please myself what I write. And some songs are three minutes, some are ten minutes. Yeah, um, yeah. So it, um, but it all of them, no matter how long or short they are, um, I do want them to be true to me.
0: Yeah.
1: Have that integrity, where yeah. I because I I don't I don't sing them flatly i always want to put some emotion in the singing
0: yeah yeah some
1: feeling or emotion singing and you can't do that if you've just got bland lyrics or something that you're not enjoying singing about or a story that you honestly want to tell people
0: yeah 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 yeah. um let's just rewind for a second in the the man in the bow that was recorded with i believe george martin right as a producer yeah so yes. tell us like what that experience was like and what you learned from him as as a writer or, or how that how that was
1: um well it's um because well before i joined stackridge james and andy were massive um beatles fans they knew they knew them all the beatles songs they could play them all especially james um so i was i was sort of originally you know, when i was a um young teenager, when they first came along, I was impressed with them like everybody else, you know. Um, then the Stones came along and I was sort of, and sort of Stones came along about the same time I met adolescents. So it was sort of, I thought, oh, uh, this is much, uh, much more, this is much edgier, much sort of, so uh, then I sort of sort of diverted from the Beatles and then didn't really revisit them till about 69 um when they were sort of coming to the end so a, um so um uh, when we were going to do heard that um that they secured George Martin to do record the next album which we didn't know what it could be called um that obviously James and Andy were absolutely cock a and I, I, I um but he was so good in putting you at your ease he wouldn't he would just um, sweet, um before we got to the studio, we'd go around his he had an apartment in London. So we'd go around there and sit down at a keyboard and I, or sit and play him the songs or but oh might put this one uh, on and might put this one on. And so we'd play him the songs and he'd listen to them and um oh yes, that's interesting, that yes, all right, I like quite like that and all this. And then um when we got to the studio and all everything was set up. Um we start playing a song, and there was one on this album called The Galloping Gaucho, which was my tune. Um, and we all start off, and it's a sort of... Do, 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 do. Anyway, we started off, bang, everyone together, go all the way through, stop. And he said, no, 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 no. no. He said, we'd make it much interest, more interesting that. So it started off with just a Hammond and a triangle. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. so immediately, you thought oh yeah okay so rather than have everything sort of blasting yeah. along or you know or not blasting along but just sort of chugging along yeah. from A to B yeah. of certain so that you've got a much more interesting path through the woods yeah. um, so, yeah. so that was like I think that was the first song we did because that was one that we knew the best and we'd been gigging the most um and that but from then on I thought oh yes okay you don't have to have it Blast, you yeah, um, know, yeah, you know, recording and up uh, recording isn't the same as playing on
0: stage, no, 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 it's a different art yeah. altogether, isn't it? But that's yeah, that's quite interesting, actually. Because I mean, one of the things I see you do when you just play on your own, um, you know, some you see some people play and they really chug through a song, don't they? They're just like they start at the same point and they end at yeah. the same point, yeah, and exactly. it's good for them, it's great, like, isn't you know, energy and but like, uh, you know, the other day I saw you playing and it was like you announced at the start it's like three or four key changes here, and you actually is like loads of dynamic in your writing you know there's loads of like interesting things and pulling back and releasing and it's interesting to hear talk about george and just maybe maybe that had an influence on on, on the way you went forward as a writer but it's something oh, yeah. is very um very clear in your songwriting i think the the kind of ability to to sort of move through musical movements you know yeah yeah and that's something which I think in modern songwriting isn't quite as adventurous it's, it's
1: Oh, something... I, I, yes I um I can't remember who it was I said I can't remember, I read it somewhere um but um it was a quite a well-known songwriter um, for the life of me I can't think who it was um but they were saying they, they decried uh, modern songwriting well it's not really songwriting is it because because it um some of these um Modern, I say it, and sound like a real old fogey now.
0: Yeah,
1: anyway, I that, yeah. <laughs> um, they just—I mean, they have dynamics, but it doesn't um, melodically. They don't go anywhere.
0: That's interesting. I've—I spoke to a. Uh... A younger songwriter than you and I, who was actually saying the same thing that, like, they're kind of uh, melodically from she, an American writer who writes a lot of pop stuff. She's saying that, you know, the me- melodies are not as adventurous as they used to be. You no, know, that's, um, I guess, this is a sign of the times, really, but it's um, it's something which is definitely, it's. I mean, a good melody is like winning the World Cup, isn't it? It's like if you find a <laughs> good yeah. hunt for the melody, it's the kind of uh, thing that keeps
1: there was some um, um, this like I mentioned this new song that we'll be um, attacking again tonight. No, I'm not attacking it. Um, I was unhappy with the first four bars of the top line melody. Yeah. And um, so, and I thought, no, nah, it's boring. It's nothing. To... And then I sort of just sort of accidentally. Um, Started singing a sixth, I think, up to uh, no, not a sixth, fourth, seventh, fifth. Oh, yeah, no. anyway, I don't know. Anyway, but wasn't the note in the chord? Yeah, it's in, in the key, but not in the chord. Yeah, and then I was sort of doing that on it. I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then um, I went down to the second chord, and then I thought, oh, well, after that, it's a bit of interesting. I just um, went, dropped down an octave from one note down to another one.
0: Nice.
1: Du, du, du. Um, so I thought, oh, yeah, that's quite nice. It's interesting. Then it sort of dies away a bit. And then, of course, it, the chord's the third chord as a minor, changes up. But you can sing the first melody line over that one as well. Okay. So, yeah. so all of a sudden, I thought, yes, that's it. i cracked it. And it's that's, it's that's the really six pers- bar.
0: It's interesting to hear you talk like that because especially coming not from a musical, if you like, technically, musically sort of someone like me. There's there's a lot of that kind of thing where the um when you're working out the melodies and the chords, that that kind of mechanical element of it, I suppose, is kind of like uh, it's good fun, but it's like when you when when the pattern kind of eventually comes, like it felt like it was always meant to be there. It's almost like it's kind yeah. of you you're you know, you're you're given a task of being given these two things and you've got to work it out. And then when you get it, it's like, ah, okay. You know, like that's, that's the, yeah. that's the thing. Where do you think songs come from? Do you think they come from, you believe in the muse, do you think they come from you or from through you or what do you make of all that kind of element?
1: Uh, no, I, I think it's, it's cerebral. It's the, it's the mind at work and at play. Um, and I think the th- the parts, the sort of integral part of that, is one, your formative years, whether you uh, listen, hear music, or um, there's something in you that's attracted to music, tr- attracted to tunes, even when you're a little kid. Um, my grandmother uh, used to uh, play the piano, yeah, and um, when I was three. For as one piece of music um, that I used to nag her whenever I visited her, uh, I insisted she play. It's called the March of the Tin Soldier, and I was, it was and I just loved it because I could march around pretending to be a soldier. She played it, so uh, so obviously there was something in me that uh, was into the. Um, listening much rather listen to a tune or hear a melody than um, what other kids do I know there was a time I might have been 11 when I was around a, a friend's house we were going to go up and play football and he had two cousins there and they were playing records uh, old 78s on a record player and it was like Buddy Holly songs and, and stuff like that and some terrible Pat Boone songs but anyway Buddy Holly and one or two Elvis tunes and um I was listening to this and then um um mate sort of said oh with the football I said right let's go then and I said no I'm gonna stay here and listen to this it's just like yeah so I think you have, to have that to start with and yeah. then that leads you into trying to be in a band trying to learn an instrument um playing and then you've got the will um then if you start writing it's that wealth of experience on top of that. That uh, So I think it's that's all obviously in your brain. That's all part of it. And then you just need, I just need a t- quiet time for the brain just to float away and not really thinking of anything. Yeah. And accidentally, accidentally hear something in my head or accidentally hit the wrong chord and then the brain sort of, yeah. all those pieces start lining up. Yeah, forming a cue Yeah, get the production line for the next song.
0: That's a really good explanation Thanks to me. Works.
1: That that's how it feels to me.
0: Yeah. yeah. Excellent. So, I mean, you. I think you and I are quite like in certain ways. Where, like, I think because I mean, I've seen you knock out. Um, sorry, knockout's not the word, but like, I can kind of, I've seen you release quite a few. I think maybe three albums since we got to know each other a bit better so there is there is like a very kind of I, what I like about the way you work and the way the band work it's quite a disciplined and keep on releasing keep on getting stuff out and the, yeah. often i find sort of songwriters a bit reluctant to release because they kind of want need it to be like some massive statement or they need to, it to become successful or whatever they've got in their own heads but I, what i really love about you as a songwriter because you've had massive success and, and and all this kind of stuff is that you, you just carry on and like, it's like you are a working, living, being a songwriter, right? It's not a cerebral kind yeah. of like idea or hobby. It's like I do this and I release it and I keep doing it and I've got my band and I love it and I build my fan base and I keep releasing. So is it important to you for like to be to, to be that, to be an active, original songwriter to keep doing it?
1: Yes. Oh, yeah, but, Yeah. vital. I, I can't imagine not doing it now. Um, we were quite um, well, lucky as you know we released the last album in October and we are aiming to go in the studio to work on the next album in January Yeah. and I've got uh, well with this new one once I got the words that would be 13 songs for that um, and we would have um, we would have gigged all of them I would have made sure that we rehearsed we get together as often we can in the rehearsal room and um, but we they never sound um finished until you've kicked them a few times as well yeah um, so um we've already um, um done a whole set of the new songs um into the second set where it was all new songs that nobody'd heard before um they've worked into the set now um so this and this one that we once that's finished we'll work that one in as well um so it's important, and it's important for me to to do it. Um, I don't see the point in not playing them to people or not having them so people can't hear them.
0: Yeah. Um, but you're definitely very prolific, you know. It's like, do, do you tend to just sit around with the guitar and write every day, weekly, or is it just as and when it, you feel it?
1: My, yeah, when I feel it, really, you know, much. Um, but um, I, I certainly don't do it every day, but... Um, if I think, oh, if I've got the house to myself and it's nice and quiet, I think, oh, I might uh, you know, get the guitar out and see what happens. Um, but now, there's no point in me writing a load of stuff now, other than this. What? Oh, that's what I say. I mean, if a good one comes up, then, <laughs> then then it'd be a different matter. But I'm sort of consciously thinking, right, we've got more than enough for the next album. Okay. Uh, and this one, this new one, is going to be. Eight minutes long, I should imagine. So, um, so there's a time factor. So, um, there's no not much point me writing a load of stuff on top of this because we won't get round. Um, I suppose a lot of the new stuff on this album we start next year. I wrote two, three years ago. Okay, I just recorded it on the on the phone um, on a voice no voice recording on the phone. Um, and then I thought, right. Then of course, I think, all right, get start working on the new songs. Now I've got to relearn them because I completely <laughs> forgot.
0: That's so true. That's so true. <laughs> I get <laughs> that.
1: <what> the chord <laughs> I get that.
0: Like I'm kind of like at the moment recording like a an album, and then you're like, God, I, I can't remember what I was doing. there like, that's so true. So when you, what do you reckon the ratio is for you? Like, I mean, there's a lot of music, uh, people that aren't songwriters that listen to this podcast, but people that are, are. So when you're deciding to like take, let's say the next squad of 10 to be recorded, what do you reckon the ratio is as a writer from like, is it like out of 30 songs, you'll get 10 or out of 50 ideas, you'll get 10. What What's the kind of like ratio do you, could you say, do you reckon?
1: Um, well, I, I would say it's pretty, um, pretty, well, sort of eight out of ten, nine out of ten, yeah. because because we've got that process of proof proofing it out with the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If someone if someone's you know that doesn't engage the band, or, um, yeah. or you know, obviously, if if a little part section of it doesn't engage the band, then I think yeah, you're right. That is a bit lazy, uh, and so I'll think about it and work around it. Um, so by the time we rehearsed it and rehearsed it. And um we've we've got it nailed well enough to re- uh, play the gig. Um and then we've gigged it but um pretty well that's it really. Um the uh, the last oh, what was the last recording? Um last time last set of recording, which is back before um, three years ago now, I suppose four years, three years ago, three and a half years ago. Um we we because we knew the song so well, we we blitzed it. I think we did recorded about um 11 or 12 songs so there's only nine on the album so three just to sort of, yeah. pick the ones that work the best the best recordings um the strongest songs and um some just fall by the wayside because it didn't quite make the cut yeah but it's not sometimes we'll um revitalize um think we're thinking of revitalizing one for this next album because it's quite a nice song but um, whether we do or not we don't know way of it is um, um, knowing because you even on CDs, you're limited to how much time you can put on one CD to make it a decent recording.
0: So um, statridge famously, was, the fir- was this like the first band to ever play at Glastonbury Festival?
1: We were the first band. Yeah, we opened it and closed it.
0: Brilliant. And obviously that's <laughs> become like a kind of <laughs> huge thing. But that is very, yeah. cool. it's very cool to be the first uh, band to have played. That's a great thing to have uh, to, to have done. But obviously at that point, nobody could have known that festival would have become what it was. Right. It's a different. Well, no,
1: I, I. Michael Evis maintains there was a thousand at the first one a thousand people. Yeah. Um, I maintain it's probably more like 600 than a dog and the two goats. Uh, um, it was. Yeah, and I I can remember a cha- the changing room was his kitchen. Brilliant. That's what, what the dressing room was. Um, and I can remember thinking uh, as we were playing, and I was wondering about um, poor bloke, you know, poor dairy farmer. He's lost a fortune. He's never going to do this again. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> so I, I mean, I wouldn't have imagined uh, how old I'd be twenty. 20 no um yeah here i am over 50 years later still talking
0: about it <laughs> it's, just, it's just funny isn't it it's how, so sometimes i mean we've all played those kind of festivals you speak of where you, you know you know that someone's probably lost a few grand and there is the dog and you, you know you, sometimes you just don't know how things are going to go and that's the same with records songs or life isn't it you just you oh yeah absolutely yeah no. so t- tell me a little bit about your um you you were either working with or without a John for a while. What's the, what's the kind? What was that uh, whole part of your career?
1: Um, well, um, the man in the bowler hat was uh, our third album and final album for MCA as a label. They did they didn't um, basically because we didn't sell enough for anybody to make any money. Yeah. Um, so um, we were up for grabs, and that was it luckily enough at the same time that elton john um was founding rocket records right and so obviously uh, no point on the rocket record, uh, record label because he was still committed to djm at the time yeah. um so um uh, he obviously needed um, a stable of bands or some artists to put put out on his record label yeah. and i think I mean, he's, all, he's always had a and it listened out to other mu- music, other what other people do. He still does. Um, so um, you obviously heard about the band or heard the band, and um, I think we had a, did a demo and um, he signed us. Brilliant. And he was uh, really supportive. Really. And when I sort of had wrote a little piece about him uh, for a um, fanzine, online sort of fan thing. Um, and when I looked into how many albums he was releasing, um, and he was like d- touring the world, he was recording, um, releasing two albums a year, and he still found t- time though, had to be at Rocket Records or um, when he came to the um, release party for um, Extravaganza, he he was like always found time to chat, always friendly. Um, yeah, it, it was really nice bloke. And, he, he wanted me to carry on and do a solo career
0: okay. when
1: packed up, but um, I hadn't written anything for yonks, so I had nothing original um, in the backpack, um, and uh, I was sort of, obviously, my young wife, after two years of, of barely seeing me, was having second thoughts. So anyway, I, I just thought, well, I've got nothing to offer, and i I've done it for six years. I'm 26 now. I've had my shot, <laughs> So I "So I said, no thanks, uh, thanks, but no thanks." And now uh, retired to Yeovil and became a leather tanner.
0: Oh wow. <laughs> wow, 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 But still here today, knocking out songs and you know making all those albums, which is, you know, it's, it's something which I think is, you know, it's 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 great to see someone still love songwriting and still be doing it, and it to be feel like it's their life passion and you know something that we believe in it's it's is it's great to see and hear yeah. so who are your main songwriting influences would you say oh oh um uh,
1: right okay um uh, i mentioned leonard cohen um tom petty i've got a lot a lot of time for yeah. um i um i love the simplicity of his in the ter- I mean it in a nice way that this chord he four chords, maybe five chords in the song if that. Yeah. Um but it's just the melodies he can he yeah. can concoct. Um so I've certainly got a lot of time with him. There's uh, well I say new one on the block he um, merged back five years ago. Uh Michael Kiwanuka. Yeah he's I great. like a lot. Yeah. Very good. Um, um Obviously, the old Holland, Dozier in Holland, and Marvin Gaye, Stevie
0: Wonder, yeah. Stevie Wimwood. Um, Yeah. Did some yeah. good names there. Good names. <laughs> um, what advice would you give a songwriter? There's going to be people listening to this that are established, people that are brand new, people that kind of hobby around. And, you know, none of us are songwriters. I think when, when you get to a certain point in the in your career as a songwriter you realize that I think sometimes there's like a bit of competition when you're between bands but when you get past all that bullshit you realize that we're all like very connected because we Mm. share the same thing so um you know when I'm asking you this is that kind of one ask anybody for their advice they'd give a songwriter is within the remit of like you're just you being you and what would you offer as advice if you like or what would you say to a songwriter? What kind of have you learned and what would you give them as advice to kind of think about from your point of view as matters later?
1: Yeah, okay. Um, well, obviously, um, we all start by learning songs that our heroes have written, um, which is great. It's a great way of sort of getting into how songs work, really, yeah. which is great. But um, if, if you've got to the stage where there's a little voice in you saying, oh, it would be nice if the song did this, or wouldn't it be nice? Oh, no. Or something comes up, you think, oh, that's good. I mean, you might use that. And then you think, oh, no, perhaps it won't. Listen to that inner voice and stay with it. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, um, Even if somebody says, oh, um, because I've had that before, um, I sort of play a song to somebody and they say, oh, that's just like so-and-so but don't 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 worry about that don't you know follow that little voice let's keep looking at listening out for that little voice inside of you saying yeah that's that's right that that works and
0: and encourage it love that that's really really great advice because that's who you are isn't it that's your seed exactly
1: yeah 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 because any audience will soon um help suss out any sort of um hokum you know yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. so oh. thank you for your time. And let me ask you the final question, which I ask everybody, which is, um, will change from day to day, but if you could have written anyone else's song, so a song you didn't write, if you could have had lived with it in your head and had been thinking about it, what song by somebody else would you love to have written? For? Oh, my Lord,
1: God, what a question. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh, I'm going to say one and then immediately think, oh, no, I should have said that. Is um it- anyway. Okay. Right. Uh all right. Um Is it um is it Tower of
0: Song Leonard Cohen? Nice, nice Tower good choice. Well, what yeah. a connoisseur type of choice that is, that's <laughs> 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 Very culturally well, Good
1: in it, good. I actually I was quite I I surprised myself there, yeah, because it's about <laughs> songwriting.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Now, it's really interesting just to capture people in the moment for that, and that's uh, I'm thinking of forming a little playlist of all the songs people have come up with, because uh, it's been quite interesting to hear. All right, yeah, but anyway, thank you, Mutter, for your time. And listeners of this podcast, where should they go? Mutterslaterband.com, is that it? Is that where to go and find your work?
1: Uh, mutterslater.co.uk,
0: so that's mutterslater.co.uk, Mutterslater.co.
1: um, and then there's Mutter uh, Slater Band on Facebook, and um, but to say to a Slater band on Spotify
0: and yeah fantastic thank you much for your yeah. time and uh you know really really a pleasure talk to, talk, okay. to talk to you